Thanks, John. All right, good morning. It's me again. Uh, if you have a, a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're going to uh, land the plane this morning of our series on resurrection stories. And so we've been looking at, for the last seven weeks or so, what happened after Jesus' resurrection. Who were the people that he encountered? What, what was going on and why that's significant for understanding who this Christ is, but also understanding what is our part to play? What is our our, our, our mission as, as a church? And, and the, the post-resurrection stories are... Uh, they serve us in so many uh, beautiful ways because one is all these disciples post-resurrection are just filled with doubt and confusion. Any amens? Like, okay, this guy raised from the dead. I'm not sure what to do that. Even though he's been telling us for three years, I'm going to die. I'm going to raise from the dead. They still show up to the tomb, not expecting uh, a dead man to come back to life. And, and so for us, that's, that's what happens to us all the time. We think like, oh yeah, this is just easy. And we just believe. And, and, but even the early disciples are like, I, I don't know. I don't know where he is. I don't know what's really going on. Um, and, and so it shows us, again, God's grace and God's mercy in so many different ways and, and how he uses different people in so many uh, different ways. And, and so we're going to kind of land the plane this morning, if you will, on, on our last post-resurrection story is that we've encountered this Jesus resurrected from the dead. He spends 50 days with his disciples and other people, but now he's going to give us another piece of that resurrection story, and that's the Holy Spirit. Because today is, is Pentecost Sunday. And he kept telling the disciples, if you've been with us the last few weeks, he kept telling them, hey, I, I need you to, to remember the Holy Spirit is going to come. You need to wait on high for this power that's going to come. And, it, and you're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. But, but it's good that I go away so that I can send you my spirit. I, I find that just that phrase in John's gospel. He says, Jesus says time and time again, it's good that I go away. Because you're going to do even greater things than I did. Now, why, how can he say, I mean, this is, you know, the second person of the Trinity, divine, incarnated Jesus. Like, we're going to do greater things. Like, what does that mean? That doesn't mean we're going to be God by any means. But it means that Jesus in his public earthly ministry, he was hemmed in by time and space, right? He, he only ministered within 30 miles of his hometown, but he says, hey, but when I pour out my spirit, guess what? It's going to get wild because the Holy Spirit is going to blow where it wants to blow. It's like wind and it's going to fill the people and the, the people are going to be my temples of the Holy Spirit. And so wherever they are, I will be with them. And wherever the church is, I will be with them. And, and, and so you're not going to be hemmed in by time or space. It's good that I go away and send you the Holy Spirit because things are going to get really, really interesting. Um, and if you're familiar with the scriptures, things do get really interesting, especially when God and Jesus are around. And <clears throat> so we're going to look at Acts 2 because things got a little bit crazy. So Acts chapter 2, the disciples have gathered together. They're probably praying in a home uh, and the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them because that's exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. They just wait for me, power from on high is coming. It's a promise of the Old Testament, which we'll get into in just a moment. But if, we, if you want to pick it up, Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read the first 13 verses, and I'm going to hit a couple other verses in, in chapter 2, but I'm just going to read the first 13 right now. So Acts chapter 2, if you have a Bible, there should be one around you, page uh, 909. If not, that should be on the screen. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, <clears throat> and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together as they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own tongue. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native tongue? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygria and Pamphylia, Egypt, uh, the parts of Libya belong, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. I love that, because when weird things happen, they got to be drunk. So, so Acts 2, the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is, is poured out. And, and they're, they're gathering together. The disciples are praising God. Jesus has resurrected from the dead. He's ascended back into heaven. And they're gathering. And now the Holy Spirit comes and falls on them, just as Jesus had promised. So let's look at that for a few moments here this morning. And I want to kind of look at first the situation of Pentecost, because I think as we understand the context of when this is happening, it's going to shed light on what God's actually up to. The explanation based on Peter's sermon, which we'll get into in just a moment, hit a couple of highlights of that, and then also the effects of Pentecost. So what does that mean for us? What does is, what is a, a Holy Spirit-filled community actually look like? And we'll see, get a little glimpse of that in Acts chapter so, so here's the situation. Now, it's very important. Again, this is where I think Acts chapter 2, when we talk about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit being poured out, um, a lot of times when we think about Pentecost, what do we think of? Pentecostalism. Okay, so that's, that's kind of a new phenomenon, right? And so just crazy things happening, you know, speaking in tongues, all those kinds of things. Not, not unimportant by any means. But the context of Pentecost is very different. This is 50 days after the resurrection of Christ. And if you were a good Jew living in the first century, and as you notice, maybe you picked it up in the context, is that thousands of Jews have gathered together from all different nations and all different backgrounds. And so this is a large gathering of Jewish people when the Holy Spirit's going to come down on Pentecost. And that's why they start speaking in their native tongue. They're like, how do they... How are they speaking in, the, in my tongue and in this tongue and that tongue? Because all these people had gathered. This is one of the first, the, probably the largest recorded uh, gathering of Jewish people from around the world in, in history, right here in the scriptures. So they're coming to celebrate Pentecost as good Jews do. Now, now what, is, what is Pentecost? Well, well, Pentecost was going all the way back to the Old Testament. When they would celebrate, it had to do with, this is kind of an agricultural festival where they would bring what we call the first fruits. You ever hear that in the scriptures? The first fruits. So they're, they're offering their grain. They would, they would lay that down at the temple to the priest and they would make a sacrifice to God to say, God, here's my, my, my best. Here's the, my food that, that's come in. Here, here's the income that's come in. Here's the resources that have come in. I'm laying that down for you. This is one of the things that happened during the, one of these festivals. And so this is what the Jews are coming to do, to celebrate, it's to celebrate Pentecost, to celebrate 50 days after the Passover. And what's the Passover? Well, the, the Passover is when God literally passed over his people to redeem them from Egypt. That he says, I, I'm gathering a people to my name, that, that death isn't going to have the last day. I'm going to redeem you from slavery. So we need to keep that in context as the Holy Spirit falls down 50 days after the resurrection of Christ. It's exactly providentially where God would want to pour out his spirit. 
These people have come to remember Passover, remember the the day God redeemed them, to remember the the day where he spared their lives, that he's redeeming these people to to go be a blessing, Abraham 12, and all all the nations. And and they're bringing these these first fruits. Now, we know in the first century, some of these... uh, traditions and and rituals were a little bit different so there's a good chance maybe they weren't actually doing these grain offerings anymore but one of the things we do know from history is that during Pentecost is they would remember the day when the word of God came down to Moses when he went up to Mount Sinai and they were going to remember that day when when thunder and lightning hit Moses on Mount Sinai and says, this is my word. Because the word of God was meant to shape the people of God to be his, his witnesses in all of the world. That as you follow my commands, as you listen to what I say, you're going to be a light to the nations. So even in the Old Testament, it was always about God's missionary work. It was always about sending out a people that as you worship me, as you love me, as you become more like me, as you follow my commands, the world is going to take notice and they're going to say, Oh, that's what your God is like. He's full of mercy and compassion and love and forgiveness. As we listen to him, as we submit to him, as we worship him, oh, you're about the poor of the poor and those that don't have a voice. Oh, this is different. Because in the Old Testament, that's not what life was about. It was about calling out to any God that would listen. It was about... um, putting people in bondage and slavery and and oppression. Not about, hey, what's mine is yours. So keep that in mind as the Holy Spirit is is coming out. So they're celebrating this festival, but now it's going to take on some new new meaning. Because notice here in the text, and this is why I talked about Mount Sinai, because what happens when the Holy Spirit's poured out, it says suddenly this came from heaven, a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Like, th- like this is a wild experience, right? I mean, this is supernatural. This isn't just a normal, like, hey, I woke up, I got my coffee, and then all of a sudden, like, tongues of fire are, like, on my head, and I'm speaking in a different tongue, and all these kinds of things. Like, this is, this is a, a supernatural encounter. But see, this is where we kind of lose the narrative, and we forget, okay, well, well this is what we need today. We, we want to be gathered together. We want the room to shake and fire to come down, right, and, and all those things. So that's where we get into a little bit of the Pentecostalism. It's like, like Christian faith is just all about these these big, huge supernatural experiences, and we're not against any of those things. We believe God's still at work and doing it in powerful ways, but that's not everybody's experience. For some, it's very quiet. It's almost a still, small voice. For others, it's, it's, it's very big and, and obvious. But, the, but when the Spirit comes, it's like wind. We don't know where it goes. We don't know where it comes, and it encounters people in very unique ways. But why tongues? Why fire? Why thunder? Now, remember, Luke is writing, he wrote Luke's gospel, and he wrote Acts. Luke, being a good Jew, knows the Old Testament very well. Where did this happen before? It happened at Mount Sinai. So, so what, is he, what is he trying to, to hint at here? What is he trying to, to help us, the reader, even in, in good Jews that have gathered to, to celebrate the Passover, to celebrate Pentecost, to give these first fruits to God, to remember the day God redeemed them? Well, in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 16, it says, On the, on the morning of the 
day there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn people, lest they break through, uh, break through to the Lord, to look at many of them perish. Also let the priests who, who can't come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits on the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. Moses went down to the people and told them. Okay. They would have that imagery in their head. I remember when Moses went up to the mountain to get the word of God. It was nuts. Thunder and lightning and God's voice and fire and smoke. I mean, just imagine, this is a pretty intense experience. So here are these Jews gathered from all around the world, and they're in this place, and the Holy Spirit comes, and they're beginning to experience a little bit of what happened on Mount Sinai. But there's a little twist here, because now Jesus has become the Word made flesh. That there's no going up to the mountain to get the Word. The Word has come down to us in Jesus that he has delivered. He said, I have embodied truth. I've come down to you. There's no coming up to mountains. There's no limits now. Because remember, remember in the Old Testament it says, hey, you can't look at God because you're going to die. <laughs> like you couldn't handle his glory. You couldn't handle his beauty. So Moses was always covering his face. He said, you can't even look at in that scene I love in the Old Testament where, where God just sends him and says, hey, you can only see my backside. You remember that? Because it's too much to see. It's too much to encounter. But now Jesus has come. God has come in the flesh. So now we have full access to him. That Jesus is described as the glory of the Father. That by faith in him, we, have, we can come running to the throne of grace. Now, keep that in mind. The Holy Spirit has just been poured out. They're having this kind of Mount Sinai experience. And, and, and this idea of first fruits is very strong because you'd come and you'd say, God, here's my offering. But it's interesting. Isn't it interesting how... The scriptures even call Jesus the first fruits. That's not random. That's not by accident. This, all these stories, all these things that are happening are all pieced together to show you this Jesus, this, this first fruits who has come. So remember when, he, when Paul talks about the resurrection in, in 1 Corinthians 15? Here's what he says in verse 20. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came uh, death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. Then he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. So, so Jesus becomes that offering for us. God's best. He gives his own life. He resurrects from the dead to say, hey, there's no more offering that you need to bring because the offering's already been made. That this Jesus has already gone into heaven. He's already sealed, stamped, approved that if you are in Christ, that's why the scriptures always say that. If you're in Christ, you're already in heaven. You're already in the heavenly places. He already has a place for you. He's gone and prepared a place for you. Why? Because Jesus has become our first fruits. He's already gone ahead. 
So they have all these things in their head as, as the Holy Spirit comes down. It's like, okay, something else is going on. So Jesus has gone before us, but now he's giving us his spirit, the spirit of Christ, to be with us. To continue to offer the world, hey, there's no more sacrifice to be made. It's already been done for you. Because isn't life really just, I mean, you, 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 it might be you, you might be in this room, friends, family. All of life is, what do I do? How do I perform? Am I enough? Am I doing enough? Right? It's so anti-gospel. But like most anxiety and worry and depression has some seed of that underneath it. Never enough. Never done enough. I'm not successful enough. I don't have the right family. I don't have the right kids. I don't, I don't have the right experiences. I don't have this. I don't have that right. So that fear of missing, missing out, if you will, FOMO, all the cool kids talk about. It's so anti-gospel. But the gospel says, just like, John, like Luke 15, hey, when, when God says to the, the older brother and the younger brother, the older brother, hey, you've been at the party the whole time. Relax. It's all yours. It's always been yours. Can you calm down? Can you stop trying to be something? Right? Jesus says first fruits. He says, hey, I've done it for you. I've already gone ahead for you. Just, just relax. It's all yours. Heaven is yours. Life is yours. Forgiveness is yours. Grace is yours. I've made the step for you. I've done it through my life and death and resurrection. Now, there's also another spin because Paul says something interesting about first fruits in Romans 8 because you know we have to mention Romans 8 at some point. Romans 8.22 says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the, what's the word here? The first fruits of the Spirit. Grown inwardly and as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So even the the Spirit is a deposit guarantee, if you will that Jesus has already gone before us, that we're going to be okay, that God is redeeming and restoring all things. And now we already have that living in and through us. I will never leave you or forsake you. So those days where you just feel like, is this all worth it? The Spirit just nudges. It's been done for you. I did it. Look to Jesus. Those days where we feel anxious and worried and we see the, the, the darkness of our world and we just go like, is this, I mean, God, are you there? Are, are you with us? The Spirit reminds us Jesus has already gone ahead. He's the first fruits, and we have these same first fruits. So, so, so don't miss the plot here in Acts chapter 2. It's, it's I think, vitally important that we, we, we understand this context that, that God is trying to say there's something new happening here because this Jesus has resurrected from the dead because he's ascended to the Father. He's given a power and authority to you to now go be my witnesses in all the earth. Like these, the experiences are great, but it's, it can't just be about that, that the Spirit was given for a particular, specific reason to be my witnesses to the end of the earth, to show that this Jesus is alive, that the world, that death and sin and, and decay are not the last say, that judgment is not the last say, that evil doesn't have the last say. That there is a God who is making all things new. Don't miss the plot. And that's why when Jesus gives the the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he says, all authority on earth has been given to me, and now I'm giving it to you. 
to go be the first fruits of, of creation, to, to go point others to the realities that the kingdom of God is broken in. And it's going to be okay because I'm making all things new. So the situation of Pentecost, remember the context because I think that gives, it's very enlightening to what is actually going on. Now, we get a little more hint of kind of the explanation of Pentecost in Peter's sermon. Okay, so if you, if you look a couple more verses, I didn't read the, read the text, I'm just going to hit a couple verses here. But notice Peter gets up, and I love Peter, because remember who Peter is, the one who denied Jesus three times? Jesus, I love you, I would never deny you. And Jesus is like, no, actually you're going to die, deny me before the rooster crows. Uh, I love Jesus for that too. He's just very honest, very real. It's like, yeah, hey, d- don't do the whole commitment thing, because you're going to break your commitments. That's just how this works. Um, but here's Peter. The one that they're going to build the church on. Peter, you're going to be my rock, right? When Jesus or Andy preached on that, you know, feed my sheep, feed my lamb. Like this, this guy? <laughs> like Jesus, like I don't know if you have LinkedIn, but maybe we need to look at some more resumes. Uh, maybe skim through a few more. I mean, Peter's a good guy, but kind of unfaithful, kind of has got some issues, right? Maybe there's some more faithful ones around. We could, we could keep, keep skimming the pile, if you will. But, but here is Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, and things have definitely changed because notice his sermon. Notice what he, he says. He begins to, remember, address this crowd. People have come from all backgrounds, all tribes, all nations. They're gathered in this place. The Holy Spirit has come on, and now he's going to explain what just happened. Because some think, well, these guys are just drunk. Because when crazy stuff happens, obviously beer and wine's involved. <clears throat> but Peter says, oh no, it's too early in the morning for that, my friends. Verse 17, and in the last days shall be God, uh, it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams even on my male servants and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. This is a, a prophecy from Joel chapter two, Old Testament. So this day of Pentecost was going to come. This is hundreds and hundreds, almost probably over a thousand years before Jesus even comes on the scene. He says, there's a prophecy in Joel that says there's going to be, this day is going to come. And this first fruit Jesus is going to come and this Holy Spirit's going to come and, and going to remind us that we're part of something bigger. And everybody's going to play a part. Did you notice how all-inclusive this is? Men, women, children, visions and dreams, right? Male servants, female servants. It doesn't matter socioeconomic background. It doesn't matter the color of your skin that we all get a part to play. Now, as you, you kind of look at this sermon and as, as Peter begins with Joel chapter two, notice how even the spirit coming is all God's grace. Who's the one pouring out the spirit? Not us. It's not spirit come. Jesus is like, I'm pouring it out. You don't have to even ask for it. It's coming, right? Here it is right? I mean, that's, that's so beautiful. Pour out my spirit. It's, it just it highlights God's grace and kindness to all people. I don't care if you're young, old, black, white, rich, poor. It doesn't matter. The spirit is for all. Here it is. All who believe, here it is. You just got to ask for it. It's yours. If you're a believer in Christ, Romans 8 says, you have the spirit of God living in you. It's not a tack on. It's part of the whole package. So God's mercy, God's grace from, for hundreds of years, this is happening. I'm going to ensure that the mission continues. I'm going to ensure that people can, can know me and follow me and, and see what is really going on. Now, I know when we use the words prophecy, we get like really nervous. 
um, because we think, well, you know, somebody's got this word and they're going to share it with me, and you know, it's it's about the future and about how things are go going to go. But I I think this this gift of, of prophecy that the, when the Spirit come comes out is that we all have this kind of prophetic ministry. Why? Because everything's been fulfilled in the Scriptures. That, that we can speak the words of truth to other people because we have the Scriptures been revealed to us what is God's plan what is God's purpose what is God's action in the world that all of us in some ways have a prophetic ministry because we have the word of God hey here's who God is here's what he's he's done it doesn't mean that God doesn't speak outside the the scriptures I I think there are gifts of prophecy but I think here it's talking about all of us playing a part there's Jesus now now in the last days Hebrews 1 says he's going to speak through this Jesus well the whole scriptures are about Jesus so we have a lot to say about Jesus don't we about what's going on in the world and what's going on in his, his kingdom. That all authority has been given to us to speak this word to other people. I love the way Martin Luther talks about this. He says he believed that, that kind of the visions and the dreams and the prophecies were all kind of one prophetic mission. He says, The knowledge of God through Christ, which the Holy Spirit kindles and makes burn through the word of the gospel. That visions and dreams and, and, and all this kind of what seems like kind of crazy stuff going on is just another way for God to say, hey, I'm here. Hey, look what I've, I've done. And, 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 and God's going to speak through people in, in a million different ways. And I think it's so vitally important that when we talk about these things, that people encounter and experience Christ and God in very different ways. And what I mean by that is that, that some people, it's just... they. It's like God just seems to speak very <laughs> close to them, very audibly to them. But others, it's like God just doesn't interact with me like that. Some have had very profound experiences with, with God, you know, tongues of fire type of stuff. And others, it's just very quiet, very just a nudge here and there. And that's okay. Wherever you are, however you encounter God, it's not, hey, we need to get, I need to see more tongues of fire. I need to see more angels show up in my bedroom. God is encountering these people in a lot of different ways. And that's partly why we did the resurrection stories. Because isn't it amazing how God encounters all these different people in such different ways? Thomas is like doubting Thomas, right? Got to show me some scars in the hands. Then I'll believe, right? That might be you. You might be the more skeptical one. Others, it's like, man, you, you've just, since the day you were born, you grew up in a Christian home and you just believe there, there's no doubt in you. There's nothing. It's just like, I've, I've always believed. I was like born on a pew. Like literally my mom gave birth on the pew and I've, I, I've been just following Jesus ever since. Too graphic? It's like, no, pastor, that's actually true. I was, and then I was baptized right there. Umbilical cord, the whole thing. Too much? Okay, we'll stop. But everybody encounters the Spirit differently, and we all have different gifts and temperaments. But we all have a part to play. That's what's so beautiful about it. I, I just, I, I think there's just too much division in the church and too much, I know some of you have shared stories with me. You grew up in, you know, even in, in more kind of Pente- Pentecostal backgrounds, and it's like, well, if you don't speak in tongues, then I guess you're not a Christian. That garbage needs to stop. It's just ca- causing division, right? It's People encounter the Spirit. The Spirit is wind. It blows where it wants to. It does what it needs to do. It's, it's, it's a gracious Spirit. So it's poured out on these people, and they, they're going to visions and dreams and ways of witnessing to this risen Christ, and we all have a part to play. We all have a prophetic ministry because we have the Word of God that Christ has fulfilled in every way. But there's also, I think, a couple things else as we dig a little deeper is just how this Jesus has 
shown us that he is the true Messiah. That, that, so, so they're standing before these Jews. Remember, these are Jewish people. They're waiting for this Messiah. They know their Bible. They know Isaiah 53. Okay, this Messiah is coming. He's you know, going to die for his people. But they're, they're thinking he's going to be this kind of you know, Davidic king, and he's going to slay his enemies. And yet Jesus is saying, I'm going to lay down my life for my enemies. I'm going to pray for my enemies. I'm going to forgive my enemies. Not the exact king and, and warrior that we were expecting. So when Peter preaches, and again, it's Peter. Like, I just can't. I'm just like, good job, Peter. I just want to be like, Peter, it just finally clicked. I'm so excited. The Spirit comes, and it's like, listen to this, this sermon, and how he, he show, wants to show them Jesus and say, this is the one you've been waiting for. It's all fulfilled in him. Look, look, look. So there's, there's kind of these, these little six moments, six movements, if you will. Notice what he says in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves no, he, he goes to the, the, the public ministry of Jesus, the life of ministry. He says, Did you, you saw the miracles. He wasn't just a Messiah among many Messiahs or a rabbi among many rabbis. The hand of God was on him. And then he points to his, his death in verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the def- definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That is such a seeker-friendly sermon. I love it. Hey, you know you guys who killed Jesus? Yeah, he died because of you. He's talking to Jewish people, right? He's talking to Roman sincere, like this Jesus that you crucified. Yeah, you did that. Just always thinking about like who's in the congregation and how can we make sure we just rub them and caress them and make sure they're, they're, they don't feel offended. How about we all put Jesus on the cross? Because we did, Right? But, but his death, right, this was foretold. Don't miss this. Like, like this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This was God's plan A from all of eternity. This, this wasn't Jesus going, what do we do, Father and Spirit? It's all gone bad. Maybe I should die for the sins of the world. That was, it's always been God's plan to redeem and restore all things. Peter's pointing them to this. This Jesus who was strung up on a cross, who bled out for you. He did it. Also, his points to his resurrection. The whole picture, the whole gospel. God raised him up, verse 24, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let the Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will be, make me full of gladness with your presence. We just sang about that. Psalm 16. This is Old Testament. This is old school. Yeah, just about resurrection. That's happening. It's coming. It's going to be in Jesus. He's going to be alive. He says, I'm not going to see hell. This Messiah is coming. He's going to raise from the dead. There's going to be an opportunity. There's going to be no more hell, no more sin, no more death. Somehow David knew that in the Old Testament, of what he understood and what had been revealed to him. So this resurrection of Christ is pointing to the fact that he's here. He's here. He's here. He's doing exactly what he's been talking about for thousands of years. We talked about last week his exaltation, the ascension in verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. 
that this Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of the Father, all power and authority has been given to him. But now he says, hey, but wait, because I'm going to send my spirit. And now you're going to have all power and authority to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. To say, he's come, he's come, life has hope, life has meaning. It's not just random accident that we so many believe. That God is up to you doing something. And also salvation, right? This Messiah, this Lord, the Lord that saves. Jonah even talked about that thousands of years ago. He, he, had, he had some understanding that this God, he, he saves. That's what he does. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brother, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Remember in Luke's Gospel, when they give him the commission, he says, you're going to preach a message of forgiveness and repentance. Peter's doing just that. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Peter, being a good Jew, goes old school, gets out his Genesis 12 and says, remember that promise that God made to Abraham? That's now coming true in Jesus. That through you, the whole world will be blessed. That Paul will later say that, that all who believe in Christ are part of Abraham's family, part of his seed, right? That every generation that believes is, is part of this bigger cosmic family that began all the way back in eternity past through the prophets, through the covenants. And now it's coming true in this Jesus. This is what you're witnessing. This is what you're seeing. I, I, I mean, I couldn't imagine. And again, I know the sermon, we know from historically that it probably was a lot longer than it was. But he's unpacking for them. This is what's going on at Pentecost. Do you see that it's all happening through this Messiah for a bigger plan than you might have realized? And then last, there's this new community that's, that's formed. Verse 40, And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. That when we come to Christ, we're not only baptized into Christ and, and, and live in Christ and are united to Christ, but we're also baptized into a new community called the church. Which we see in verses 42 to 47, what that new community looked like. So, this Jesus, who's resurrected from the dead, who's ascended to the Father, who sits at the right hand of God now, has sent his power, the Holy Spirit, to be with us. That he's not abandoned us. He's given us power to be his with. And isn't it so great that even that is a gift of grace to us? Because nobody is going to do this in their own power, in their own strength. Nobody. Because what we're dealing with is something that has to be a miracle for it even to work, right? For someone to come to Jesus, it's a miracle to open their eyes to see. We can't do that for them. We can't go to Ukraine and just beg and plead. We need the Holy Spirit to open eyes and see the mercies and the beauty and the realities of Christ, right? But I've always said this, and I've said this for almost 10 years as a, as a church, that that gives me so much more uh, confidence and gives me so much more uh, ability to risk and, and so much more uh, 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 humility to know that I can go out and it's not me, but it's God working through me, that I can't save anyone, I can't make anyone believe, I can't change a human heart, I can't make their behavior change. Only God can do that. And the way I understand the scriptures is that before the foundations of the world, God was already up to something. At least that's how Paul talks about it in Ephesians. Before the foundation of the world, God didn't need Ryan to come to Kansas City 10 years ago. Right? He's already up to something. I just get to play a small part. And you get to play a small part. 
They just get to join what God's already doing. Like, like before the foundation of the world, in your neighborhood right now, in, next to you in your cub- cubicle, Bob, you know Bob in your cu- cubicle? Some of you are like, yeah, actually, I do know Bob. <laughs> God's been at work in Bob's life before the foundation of the world. On your street, you know the scriptures say in, in Acts um, 16, 20, um, somewhere in Acts, that it was God's providence that you live on the street that you live on? Not by accident, so that some might seek God. That it's God's providence that you sit next to Bob in the cubicle, that it's God's providence that you live, you were born in a certain time in a certain generation, right? That's all God's plan, so that some might seek God. Nothing's accident with God. Nothing. Because you're his witnesses to the ends of the earth. You might be the only witness they know. And this isn't a guilt sermon and say, well, you know, they're going to go to hell because you're the only Christian they in their life. I'm not doing that. But you're there for a reason, aren't you? You're there for certain kids. Some of you have adopted kids, a lot of kids. It was God providentially that maybe one day their eyes will be open to the realities of the gospel because of you. So this new community forms, and I just want to land the plane with this, is, is what are kind of the effects of Pentecost? Like, like, are there things we can point to that says, hey, God seems like he's at work here? When I think the community makes it very clear what it looks like when the Spirit of God comes among a people. <laughs> this is just normal Christianity. One of the things I've tried to do for years is just to say, this is all just normal stuff. Like, this isn't like uber spiritual, mature Christianity. This is just like what happens when God shows up. Acts 2 is just what happens when God shows up. It's very normal, very common. It's going to look all kind of different around the world. It's going to look different in your life, in my life, in this church. But when the Spirit comes, notice what, what happens, these evidences. There's, there's four big ones here, evidences of God's Spirit. Well, notice in vo- verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and, and to the prayers. That when the Spirit of God comes, you have a learning people. That's one of our, our identities, learners, right here. That's what a disciple is. It's an apprentice of Jesus, a student of Jesus. And guess what? Students never graduate beyond their master. So, so you and I are constant learners, constant students. I love that imagery of what it means to be a disciple. So, so it's I humbly walk with, I humbly trust, I humbly open my hands and submit my life to this Jesus so that he would teach me and guide me and show me all the ways that my life are, is out of whack with his ways. That's why I love the, the imagery of Jesus being this rabbi who we follow and we learn from and we resemble and we listen to his teaching. Because if you were a Jew living in the first century and you followed a rabbi around, it wasn't just that you embraced their teaching and the content of their teaching, but you also became like the rabbi. You had your character transformed by the rabbi as you embodied those teachings. That's why Romans 8 says that we're going to be transformed into the image of Christ. So it's a learning people. It's also a loving people. Notice in verse 42, um, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers. Verse 3, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done. And all who believed were together, had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing uh, the proceeds to all as any had need. There's this loving reality that they're sharing everything that they have. Because you know why? It's all a gift. It's all a gift anyways. Why am I going to hoard it? <laughs> I didn't earn it. Just here, God's gift. Here you go. Right? So, so there are people that were learning how to love each other. And, and we know from the scriptures too, it's not just those that are inside the community. It's those that are outside too. 
Old Testament, all the time. Hey, you are a sojourner. You are an alien. So why don't you bring in the aliens among you, those that aren't like you among you, and love them. I was compassionate to you. Why don't you show compassion to other people that aren't like you, right? Showing hospitality, loving our neighbor as ourselves. So it's this loving community that, that, that I just, I, I'm so thankful. Again, we're, we're not a huge church by any means, but there's some serious love in this place. Like when there's like a need, like people just respond. Like, hey, you've got a need here. Let's figure it out. Let's do it. Right? It's about not just thinking about our own families, but also thinking about everyone else's family. So I have a responsibility, not just to take care of my own. How many kids do I have now? I don't know. There's too many of them. But, um, but to say, hey, Blaine's in need. I, I, I need to help him out. Brooks in need. Michael's always in need. Um, so many levels. Uh, and uh, right to say, how do I love other people? Not just love myself, but to sacrificially love where there's need. And that takes on all different shapes and sizes. Also, loving people to say, I care about your spiritual development as much as I care about my own. <laughs> right? If you're a student and a learner, I want you to be a student and learner too, and I want to help you grow as much as I can help you and understand more of these realities. And then just two more. There's, it's a worshiping community. We, we talk about that, one of our, our gospel identities. They gather together around the teaching and, and fellowship and the breaking of bread, probably some kind of communion or meal together and prayers, right? They worshiped together. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day. They, they, they gathered together. This idea that, that Christianity is just this individual thing, I just kind of do God on my own, there's no category in Scripture for you. God redeems you into a family to work this out, to live this out, so that these things can actually take place. That doesn't mean there aren't seasons where we're, you know, maybe we're not connected to a, a church community or we're kind of you know, in here or there, but, but the reality is that we're always called to be we and us, not just I and me. Because that's what the Spirit's doing, to say you're part of something bigger than just yourself. You have a new family, brothers and sisters. And they're crazy and they're weird, but get used to it. Because you're crazy and weird. That's why it's weird here. Right? We always think like we're the, like, they're all weird. It's like, no, you actually just make it weirder. So let's, let's keep it weird, people. And then lastly, missional evangelistic people. Evangelistic people. Praising God, having favor, verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want to make a little assumption here. And this, maybe it's heresy. I don't know. You can correct me later. But. I think there was so much joy and love and sharing and becoming more like this living Jesus that the world took notice and went, how do I get in on that? I think it was less, because here's what I know historically, they didn't have money, they didn't have power, right? They, most of them were uneducated, so they can't point to that. Well, they got all the money and the power and the education and they're really slick and, and, and awesome. They turned the Roman Empire upside down ragtag, normal, ordinary group of people. Because I think of the joy they had in Jesus. I think that's what drove them. It was a, it was a magnet for the world. That we know historically that even when, when non-unbelievers, non-believers, non-Christians were, were dying in the streets from plagues and all kinds of things, Christians would come in and take care of them. And there would be these beautiful quotes. Josephus, this, this secular philosopher and historian, would say they would take care of their own people, but they'd also take care of our people. Because they met this risen Jesus. Because they were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. 
that people were peeking in and going, how do I get in on this? Now, it doesn't mean we don't need to go out. It doesn't mean, you know, but, but I think there's a way of being. I think there's a way of living that is, a, that is magnetic, and that's actually harder. It's easier to stand on a street corner and just yell at people. It's harder to actually build a, a relationship with someone and share the gospel with them because that takes some time and money and probably some pizza. Maybe a lot of pizza over a lot of weeks and years. Right? To walk with someone for a lifetime and pray for them and encourage them. Right? And a lot of us have people in our life. Right? We've just been praying for them, walking with them for years and years and years. A lot of pizza. A lot of meals, right? But it's through our lives. It, it's through this, hey, there's just something about you. I, I mean, I, I even watch how you suffer, and it's just like, you're just still a joy there. What is that about? Are you doing something? This is some kind of new wine? No. I've met this Jesus. And he changed everything. And now he's given me a spirit that lives in me. And I, I still don't fully understand how that all works, but I know he's with me. And I know he can be with you as well. So the effects of Pentecost creates this community of people, these learners, these lovers, these worshipers, these missionaries, these servants that are called to go out into the world. This, this family, where's family? Family. It's people called to be together. And every week we're, we're reminded of this missionary God through the Lord's Supper. This bread represents the body of Christ and the, the cup represents the blood of Christ. But this, we're reminded every week that this, this God came down in the flesh. That he didn't just yell and say, hey, get your act together, humanity. <laughs> he took his own medicine and he came down to us. He dwelt among us. He walked among us. He laid his life down for us so that we could have life in him. And so that eventually we could have his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to go and be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. That we all have a part to play. And it's going to look different for everybody. But he's given you gifts. He's given you abilities, talents, relationships, opportunities, experiences, all of that. God is using all of that so that you can point others to the realities of who God is in his kingdom. To say, hey, we're going to be okay because God's at work. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this series. We thank you for these post-resurrection encounters with Jesus and what they mean for us in our mission as a church. And we thank you, even in a special way this morning, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. That it was good that you went away so that we could be part of what you're doing in the world in even more fuller expressions. So God, I just pray this morning as, as we go out from this place that we remember that we all get to play. We all have a part to play. That You've given us your spirit. You've given us gifts, talents, abilities, opportunities to point others to you through word, through deed, through conversation, through hospitality, whatever it may look like. So help us play our part well and help us do that out of a sense that we know we're already loved. We don't need to prove anything. We don't need another notch on our evangelistic belt. We're already loved by the king. And so out of a response of gratitude and thanksgiving, we're looking for a million ways to point others to the kingdom of God. So help us, oh God. Thank you for New City Church. Thank you for every individual in this room. May you continue to work in our lives this, today and this week. In Jesus' name, amen.